the first time we had him on, we did the you what got you into horror question, and he gave us a 17 minute answer. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, this is gonna be a long show. Or we just have to ask three questions. <laughs> yeah, so just, just ask three and then we can just like leave mm-hmm. and just let him talk. Well, that's what Patrick did. He asked a long question and he left. <laughs> <laughs> just fucked off to the other room. I'm like, I'm gonna go with your movie, I'll be back. Yep. <laughs> Where is he? Is he like in the is he waiting? Seeing the wings? Yeah, right. Patrick, you're I feel like you're talking to us, but you're muted. I was gonna say um Michael's here now. Yes, we can see that. <clears throat> Hi, Michael. Michael, how we doing, man? He's connecting now, he can hear us, I think. Hello? There's only Hello. one bald man allowed on a show Hello. at a time because you also only one a good bald man? What the fuck is ones this? that don't have a nice beard and you you your beard's very nice, so well Patrick, I guess you have to leave. Bye Mike. Don't nice worry. to talk to you. I gotta go take a leak. Patrick, are you in a kill room? You know, because <laughs> when when we've spoken before, you haven't blurred your background, but it's like yeah. what is going well, dude, on I moved, now? I moved homes. So now we're yeah. in, a, in a snuff room. No, I'm I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to unblur it. There we go. So yeah. right now you get kill room or unmade bed. It's really it's your choice. <laughs> it's my son's playing behind the room. kill room. If that's weird for you, I guess we're not friends anymore. <laughs> I mean, okay, well, good, good to clarify. Welcome to another episode of Deadhead Space. This is episode 212. We got Michael David Wilson on. But first, hi, I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined by my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And my other friend, Candice Nola. Say hello, Candice. Hello. And like I said just a moment ago, we're talking to Michael David Wilson. He is the host and also the creator of this is our podcast, one of our favorites, and he's also a, a author. You know, we've had him on quite two times at least. Um, it's been a while, and the last time we had you on was, I believe, for that book with you and uh, the one that you and Bob wrote. They're watching. That was the last main episode. Yeah, I believe that the last time I was on, I was reading a short story. So it was a kind of mini episode. I don't know what you call right. that. Do you call it spotlight? You could. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what Maybe we called it. Do. What do you mean you're pretty sure? It's your show. How don't do know, you man. Know it's that? been a while since we've we done did one. We call them spotlights. We have not done them in a while, but it has not been so long that it has left our brains entirely. Never say I left it. I said probably gave me a large percentage of being sure that that was the answer. The correct one. Okay, All right. so Patrick is going to mute. Um, Michael, uh, it has been a little while since you came on and you read us a story. Um, and I, here's the thing. I remember the name of the story, but I don't want to say it because I'm going to pronounce that word wrong, the T-E-K-E word. So can you tell us the name of the story quickly? Yeah, so the name of the story is Teka Teka Teka. And actually, as serendipity would have it, that is in... A anthology by Cemetery Gates Media, and the ebook version is literally on sale right now until Monday. 
I realize as I start talking that this episode is probably going to go out after. So this is yep. futile. So I'm not going to tell you what price it's on sale for, because whatever price it is now, it's still actually really good value. But it's called Places We Fear to Tread. And it is an anthology, basically, with short stories with folklore from other cultures and countries. So being in Japan, I thought I'd have a crack at writing a Japanese-based story. And that's what I came up with, Teka Teka Teka, and gave, I would say, quite a passionate reading when I was on Dead Headspace the last time. But people can find it on YouTube. You can be the judge. Yeah. So I, I think you're right. Great value, regardless of what the price is. Maybe yeah. maybe it'll be back on sale by the time this airs. Who knows? Um, so, Michael, give us a little bit about what you've been up to since the last time we talked. Okay. Well, I mean, since the last time we spoke, it has been a very tumultuous time in my personal life. I think I alluded to that the last time. Uh, some some people, particularly long-term listeners of This Is Horror Podcast, know a little bit about that, but I'm I'm just kind of coming out of that. I mean, essentially, I got divorced and I was separated from my child for a very long time, for over 18 months. So I believe the last time that I was talking to you, yeah, I hadn't seen my daughter for a rather significant amount of time. I'm seeing her now. Things are resolving as much as they can. You know, there's always going to be some tension and some conflict to a certain point where you've got a situation where you have a child with someone you're no longer with. But personally, things are about as good as they could be. Um Professionally, of course, one of the main reasons that we've got together today is because I am releasing on Friday the 13th of October, House of Bad Memories. It is my debut novel. I did co-write a novel with Bob Pastorella, they're watching, but this is the debut solo novel. There's also available the novella, The Girl in the Video. This is a novel. This is my debut. So I think I've covered. What's the date? It is Friday. I I don't even know if you're joking because it's quite easy to release date. Yeah, yeah. It's quite. No, no. I I understood that. It's quite easy to remember, Patrick. It is Friday the 13th, which does have some significance to people within the horror genre. And then that's of October, another significant month. (laughs) for horror with halloween so friday the 13th of october from cemetery gates media yeah and your episode will come out that monday uh, october 9th i don't know what the price is then i'm just saying maybe i'm trying to lobby up a here's a good reminder yeah yeah so it is coming out imminently you should pre-order a copy if you haven't already but all you dead headspace podcast listeners you're discerning people you probably already did uh pre-order a copy so thank you for that i got a question man so you know no secret i probably said it on the show enough you're one of my just like candace and brennan truly one of my close friends that i met in the writing world 
So like we talked through that and I'm not going to go into detail, so I don't want you to worry about that. But I, I have an overall question during the whole thing. Like, I don't I don't know if this is how you guys think, but I was just at times after we talked, thought about what would I do? And I don't understand how you are so strong with being hopeful in one of the worst scenarios for over, you know, you said a year and a half, like, mm. I'm sure I asked you before, but I'm certain that there's a lot of people that this could um, offer help because I wish I was like that. So, so can you describe that? Like your horror writer, did you store all that for, you know, your creative outlet or how'd you remain that way? Even when you were like just by yourself, because that's the hardest time to stay hopeful, right? Yeah. I mean, it was certainly the most testing time of my life. It was the biggest challenge that I've ever had to face. And it, in a bizarre way, I'm just glad that I faced it at the time when I did face it, because like, you know, that the past few years or so, I've really been getting into stoic philosophy and meditation and just remembering that I can control my own actions. I can control my reaction to things, but I cannot control the actions or reactions of other people. So it was as if I was given this test where it's like, well, you, you've preached some of this stoicism. <laughs> now let's see how you actually do with it. Um, I think too, and I have said this before, and it's again maybe a bit of a strange thing for me to say. And it this is this is starting the conversation off in a pretty dark way. So it yeah, this this is again another bizarre thing to say, but I feel in many ways glad that this happened to me as opposed to another person who hadn't had my life experiences and my mindsets because I could see if my personality was just tweaked in a slightly different way I mean that there could be no me anymore I, I could have ended it all because it was a very very bleak time but no matter how dark it got, and it did get very dark indeed, there was always a glimmer of light. And I mean, in, in terms of why, why am I so optimistic? It's a little difficult to give a kind of conclusive answer, but I know that when I face troubles, that like if I've got a choice between laughing and crying then I would rather laugh now obviously I didn't laugh exactly about the situation I was in but I will use humor and comedy to try and break the tension and I don't, I don't like other people feeling bad as well so even when like I tell some people about the situation I might crack a joke or some dark humor in some kind of vaguely tangentially related way because i i felt as well you know talking about the situation it, it is a bit of a downer on on everything so if i can throw a, a joke in or show that it's okay to laugh then i i think that 
that helps as well. And I think as well, a lot of people, they didn't know what to say to me in this situation. And so typically I said, well, you can literally say anything from, you know, you're sorry to hear what's going on to apropos of nothing, you can make a dick joke. So there's the whole spectrum of things that you could say at this moment, because there is there is nothing really right to say. So then when there's nothing right to say, does that mean everything is right to say? There are limits, but <laughs> broadly speaking, um, in in terms of, you know, how, how could that translate to advice for others in like I, I would hope nobody would be in this exact situation, but any other people like facing adversity or darkness. The problem is if I try and think about the things that I would say, unless you're geared in the way that I am, it might not be very helpful because is it really helpful if all you can see is darkness and somebody says oh there is a little glimmer of light in the distance i i think that's probably going to exacerbate the situation um but i i guess like as well i held on to light and positivity because it's the world that i want to believe that we live in and it, I mean, this is getting a little bit woo-woo, but I believe if everybody operated as if there was karma in the world, as if karma is a real thing, then slowly the world would manifest in that way. And if we all, I guess, assume the best, then the world will become a more positive place. But, you know, if you're going through the darkest time in your life, rather than me talk about personally what helped me, I think I would just say celebrate every small victory. And at that point, a small victory is just waking up the next day. A small victory could be surviving the next minute, maybe the next second. So you you really have to take things one moment at a time it could also be useful to think about the Mark Twain quote that I often go back to, which is, I've had a great deal of worries in my mind, most of which were imagined. So trying not to think too much about future possibilities. Like if, if you think too much about future negative possibilities, then you are consumed with anxiety. If you worry too much about past regrets and past mistakes, then you are consumed with depression. This is a simplification, of course. But I try to be in the present moment, and I try to think, how can I find joy in, in this particular moment? How can I find the light? in what I'm doing now. It might be as simple as enjoying a cup of coffee. Patrick, I really do love coffee, so that, that is joy for me. Me too. But it could be a conversation with a friend. 
it could be anything just sell, trying as much as possible to look at what you do have rather than you know dwell on what you don't have and actually when i was separated from my daughter one of the things that i had to do and i felt i actually felt really guilty about it and my i was so conflicted but i had to basically store away all her clothes all her toys i had to take every reminder every physical reminder of my daughter out of my apartment well out, out of sight and then put it outside but i had to store it away because if if i saw that then it would set me off and i thought you know at the moment i want to concentrate on getting my daughter back that is the number one mission but if i'm emotionally distracted and then going into despair and sadness which is of course very understandable like it's it's okay to feel that but i also wanted to be focused and productive and just taking steps towards a resolution and if i had these emotional distractions then then it was going to detract from what i needed to do but you know the guilt came in because there was part of me that felt like well well am, am i trying to forget her am i trying to pretend that she didn't exist and obviously that's not what i was doing but i was just trying to safeguard myself i was trying to keep focused and i was trying to you know minimize any sort of dark thoughts and so i i i could control that i could pack away the reminders of her of course what i couldn't do was get rid of some other um external triggers like i could be walking down the street and like i see a child who's a very similar age to my daughter and that that can could set me off now at, at the time as well i was also teaching english in both a junior high school and an elementary school <laughs> so the younger children were very similar ages and i i think as well that probably got me closer to to them as well and there was almost a bit of sweetness particularly in in the children that really like kind of latched on to me and really liked me and it's almost like i'm i'm having some experiences with them that i should have been having with my daughter but um it it it's also this whole period i think has changed me for for the better in some ways now of course i wish that i hadn't gone through this but there's been so many there, there's been positivity that i found and i never take anyone or anything for granted and oh, if you listen to previous conversations that i've had particularly the one with jonathan jans and it is it was very difficult to talk about at the time it is even potentially difficult to talk about now even though i'm seeing my daughter because when i'm thinking back to something i really get into that mindset and that and that period but like that the last time i'd seen her before the the absence i 
I had a feeling that something might happen and she was just lying there and she was sleeping and I thought never take this moment for granted because it any time it could be the last time that like I say good night to her and then for a long time it was imagine though the the absolute relief and joy I had the first time that I saw her and had an overnight visit and got and got to do that again but but anytime I I see her I think this could be the last time but it's not just her it extends to any interaction so if I keep that in mind with every interaction that I have I think it's making me a better person and it certainly it certainly means that I don't take people for granted I don't take any situation for granted I know that it could disappear this is mostly a good thing the the way that it I guess it could be negative is you know with, with relationships it's, I mean navigating a new relationship is a tricky one because obviously I don't want to take my girlfriend for granted and I really do my utmost not to but at the same time, I I, I also want to have some optimism that this is going to last. If I'm paranoid that it's not, then that could be destructive too. So it's it's really balancing those two mindsets. So I hope that there's something positive that maybe people can take away and apply to their lives from this. But as I say, I think the most important takeaway if you're going through uh, a dark time is to take every second at a time, celebrate those small victories, and also just be kind to yourself. Just be so kind to yourself because life can be really difficult. And also never compare your struggles to someone else's in a sense that you end up invalidating your own struggles. You know, I, I had so, some people, because of what I was going through, they, they felt almost bad if they brought up a depressive episode to me. And it's like, no, that you should. <laughs> like, if, if you know, um, <laughs> you cut your finger but I've broken my leg. My broken leg doesn't make your finger hurt any less. <laughs> so it's it's the same kind of thing. It's all completely valid. So be kind to yourself is honestly the, the overarching theme of any sort of advice. And it's probably the secret if there is such a thing to, to a good life. I mean, that's kind of what I say at the end of every This Is Horror podcast episode to, you know, take care of yourself and to be good to other people if you can lead with those two things. And I think you're onto a winner. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up the uh, episode that you, you guys did recently with uh, Jonathan Jans. That was, I think it's a three-parter, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, three hour-long segments of just absolute gold and it touches on a lot of the themes that you just talked about um being kind to yourself being kind to others and i think what's so (laughs) 
magical. I, 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 I hate that I threw that word out, but it's really, it, it's appropriate. Um, is that so much of it, especially the first part of the episode is off the cuff, unexpected. You didn't plan to talk about it. You didn't have it written down on a sheet. And, you know, for those people, listeners who don't know Jonathan Jans, he is so <laughs> relentlessly positive. Um, and what better person to walk down that path? And it was a dark path, but, you know, there's there's that glimmer of hope. Um, kind of like you said, although I, I think you're onto something where you say you can't just, you know, somebody going through something, you can't just be like, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel. That's very close to telling somebody having an anxiety attack to calm down. It's just, it's good hearted advice that's just going to fall on deaf ears. Um, it, uh, like you said, it has to come a, a substantial portion of it has to come internally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Candace, and we've been, Oh, go ahead. I, well, I was just going to say, cause now I'm, I'm trying to think of when other people have come to me and they're having a dark episode. Honestly, like if it's in terms of what I say in reality, I, I I normally agree. I say, yeah, that that's really rough, and you know your feelings are completely valid. And I love you, and even if it doesn't look like it, you know, I I I believe that eventually, even if we can't see it now, that things will get better. And it's okay that you can't see that right now, but I love you. Just just keep taking it one step at a time you got this you were there for me in my darkest time when my wife and i lost a kid you were there for me you were there for me when you were dealing with your thing it wasn't you and me talking about you know um on a subconscious level competing i guess i don't know a better word uh pain uh it was just two two guys that love each other that were being vulnerable and that year for me, like, it's nice to know, like, sometimes I can go to Candace or Brian or you, you know, if I don't have, uh, if I need that, you know, and everyone needs that. So I was just saying that you, you, you live your advice very well. I've known you for like four years now. So, uh, worth bringing up Candace. We have been hogging the mic. Please take it. Yeah, that's okay, because all of that actually leads into the question that I wanted to ask, which is one of the main reasons why we're here. So your novel, Michael, um, is it safe to assume that this was written while you were going through a lot of that time of separation? Because there is a lot in here about the lead and his hunt for his child and all of that. And I feel like a lot of what you just spoke on plays directly into a lot of what you have written here. So the answer to that is both yes and no. Because I wrote house of bad memories in two very distinct phases okay. um it was initially a novella and i think at, once people have read the novel 
they can probably guess where the original novella ended. And the original novella, a lot of that was written kind of unpacking some childhood trauma. And then, you know, I, I actually had a publisher lined up for that novella, but for some very minor reasons, that didn't work out. So then when I got the rights back to it, I was just having a think as to what I wanted to do with it. And I've got a film agent, Ryan Lewis, and so, of course, anything I write, I get him to have a look at and to see could he potentially sell the film rights. And one of the things he'd said with House of Bad Memories, as it existed, was he really enjoyed the story, but he didn't see exactly like what what is the the hook or the way that he can really sell it to Hollywood because you need that hook. It doesn't matter if you think this is a, a a great story, but how can you pitch it as a great movie? Not just a good movie. There are so many great ideas. It needs to be great. And he couldn't quite see what that would be, especially with it being at that point a little bit understated and and british and relatively single location which is cluing people in even more as to where the novella ended if they haven't got it already and so i don't i wonder i wonder if there's a way that i could expand this and would would it when i'm thinking of a film would it make it more sellable and then I landed on some ideas, which became what we have now. And when I landed on it, I thought, okay, in some ways, this makes it more commercial. In other ways, especially a particular chapter, this makes it completely <laughs> unsellable. But at that point, I'd already convinced myself that th this is the direction that I wanted to go in. So the second half that I wrote, that was being written whilst I was undergoing this really traumatic time of my life. So we've got one half I wrote unpacking some childhood trauma and the other navigating the most difficult time of my adult life when I'm in the middle of it. And then, of course, the redrafting and the editing, that was all going on whilst I was in the middle of this really traumatic time. So yeah. it yeah, it I I think and I hope and the feedback is that everything is very cohesive. It doesn't feel like, oh well, here's a 2018 story and here's a 2022 one. So yeah. so like yeah, I I mean <laughs> I weaved things in to the the redrafting um so yeah the 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 answer is pretty much yes but with that yeah. little caveat about the first half yeah because i was <laughs> it's woven in but there's absolutely a point where <laughs> it just changes speed oh yeah 
it just goes completely off the rails. And I was like, wow. (laughs) There was so much in the latter half that I was not expecting. Yeah. Did not see just, it was, but it worked. It wasn't like, okay, here's this half and then there's this last half and I'm just going to throw everything in here. It worked and it like pulled you into this really great story and you were like, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And then it just like kicks into high gear and it goes off the rails. I mean, from one thing to the next to the next and the, the ending. Yeah, I did not see that coming at all. It was just a lot, but it all worked the more you read it. Because the first half was like, wow, you know, there's a lot here and a lot of relatable stuff. And I kind of can tell, I think, where you switch from the original story to the latter half. But you wove enough into the last half of it that it all works well and it all made a lot of sense. But there was just so much more like action and a lot more horror elements, I want to say, because I don't want to give anything away as to the action part of it. But there was so much that I was not expecting to just pop up in this story. And it was all there. And I... I loved it. Like I, I thought it worked so well and it completely blew all of my expectations out of the water. When you look at the first couple of chapters and you're reading, you're like, oh, okay, you know, you're thinking it's kind of like a quieter tale, sort of one of those like dreadful things. And I like, go, oh, my, what's going to happen next? But then you get into the rest and it's just like, holy shit, <laughs> <laughs> where are we? Yeah, it, it it um it worked well, but I can tell that you wrote a lot of that other stuff in here, which I think was probably also helpful for you as well, if I may, because I do a lot of that too. Like I've had a lot of things in my life that have had to make me a stronger person Mm. and you have to learn those things about you know just having to take things one day at a time and but since I started to write a lot of that has come out in my writing whether it's said directly or not but there's those little things that are a part of me that kind of make it into everything that I write. And some of them are violent and some of them are angry and some of them really sad. But I also feel like it helps me just a little bit every time I write a little bit more of that out. Does that ha- ha- happen with you? Yeah, absolutely. And Is that helpful? I I feel, yeah, definitely helpful. Yeah. I I feel as well that I couldn't write this novel in the way that I did when, you know, now. Like actually being in the moment for both phases, for both parts of the novel, completely assisted in making those emotions authentic. I mean, Jack Ketchum, Dallas Mayer, he would often speak about writing from the wound. This was really (laughs) writing from the wound. This is the most 
personal and the most writing from the wound story I have ever written. And I know as well, and obviously, as with everything, advice and opinions vary. So I've heard people say before, you know, don't write something in the moment, wait for you to have perspective and to see how everything pans out. But actually, for me, if I'd have done that, then I think that the novel would have been blunted. It wouldn't have been as immediate and hopefully as impactful for people. I wanted to capture those raw emotions. Yeah. And it's hard. the more distance you have from it, the harder it is to capture that raw emotion. So, yeah. I mean, e- even answering Patrick's question about how I was feeling during the lowest time, it's harder for me to answer that now than it was when I was talking to Jonathan Jans and I was in that moment because it's almost like me telling another person's story. There's distance from it. That's not me now. And yeah, if I were to write House of Bad Memories now, it it might not have some of the, the wildness and the the anger and I mean, here was a person in, in the second half and he, he was all out of fucks. There were no fucks <laughs> left to give. Um, so that's kind of what happened. And, and another thing, particularly with a number of scenes that I know people will talk about and people have mentioned to me, I felt that with my fiction so far, that I I have hinted at there being extreme violence, but but I normally don't quite describe it. I shy away a little bit. And people might not realize that because like I will describe a lot of the aftermath. So it feels like you're witnessing the violence, but the, there's very little violence or torture that I put into my fiction. But I don't know that this is kind of like the foreplay up until this point. I've hinted that we go in there and it's like, now you got to deliver. Now is your time to step up. And I don't also because. <laughs> You know, up until this point, I haven't done this. People are not going to expect it. So I read a little bit of Edward Lee and Ralph James. <laughs> I got into the mindset, and away we went. And and yeah. yeah, chapter twenty-two, amongst other things, was born. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah, and you went for it all, <laughs> all yeah. of it. I was like, okay, well. This is great. Um, people are going to talk about this one. Um, they're definitely going to talk because it has, it literally has a little bit of everything in it. And I think that's why it works so well. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm interested for the wider readership to get it and to see what some of those reactions are. I mean, I think that chapter that I've mentioned for some people, they're going to love it and they're going to keep reading and be like, what the hell are we doing now? And I think for other people, they're going to put it down and it's going to become a did not finish. And it is going so. to, yeah, well, they, that... they, 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 they may pause. 
<laughs> they, they may need to put it down and walk away for a minute, but I feel like there's so much happening. And when you get to that point, you're so sucked in that, yeah, you, you may need a break. You may need to go get you know a cup of coffee, go get some fresh air, but it's going to pull you back because you, at that point, you need to know what happens next. Like it's going to be in their head and they're going to be like, yeah, but let me just get through this next page or so. We're going to see what happens because it you're so invested by that point, you're going to pick it up again. That that's just how that's just how I feel. Yeah, you yeah. need to know what happens after. Me yeah. too, and trust me, it's worth it. So anyone listening, stick with it, but because I promise you, it's worth it. Yeah, Mike. So in um. <clears throat> They're watching it in this. You you have organized crime elements in there. I would very much so like to see that. I love seeing that stuff. Like uh Green Street Hooligans is a favorite of mine. That's not it's not really organized crime. That's kind of its own thing, but you get what I'm saying. I, I like I like seeing that stuff, you know, like Peaky Blinders. That's really interesting. I think you do it well. You have your own unique style. You, you named your two big guys Slaughter and Butcher. That's hilarious. The crazy bastard was Maniac, which that, that's a sick bastard right there. I ain't going <laughs> to say what what he does, what happens to who and whatnot, but ooh, yeah, that, that guy is one sick puppy. Um, What are your thoughts on that? I'm not saying a straight up thriller or crime, but I'd be I'd be really big into the idea of reading watching something like that written by you yeah i mean in terms of my own personal taste with horror i prefer real life horror for want of better phrasing than i do the more supernatural and fantastical so i mean often when people think about horror if they're going to pair it with other genres you'll often see horror sci-fi and fantasy put together but for my own personal taste for my own favorite things to read to write to watch it's horror and dark thriller and crime that's just what i'm personally more into so then i mean it does make sense that those elements are coming in more in in terms of the writing that i'm doing and in terms of the supernatural i do prefer there to be ambiguity in the way that there is in a head full of ghosts by Paul Tremblay. I think that is one of the best examples of a supernatural tale that has ambiguity packed into it. But I mean, my, my bag and the type of films are things like Seven and Silence of the Lambs and things Ooh, that I, I think they're the horror. Best. Yeah, I, I think like horror tangential, Shutter Island. Of course, you interviewed the the author. Do the book somehow better? The movie's great, but yeah, yeah, I would like to see you writing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's make that happen. (laughs) Let's make it happen. Why is is there a contract? Snap your fingers. Yeah, (laughs) I I love reading your dude. I've read three of your books and some of your short fiction. You're a good writer. You're entertaining, like Candice was saying. Yeah, and. Just to just to bookend the beginning of my um, question, uh, 
I maybe it's just because I'm an American writer, a reader or whatever. Maybe it's just because I don't know, but I don't see a lot of, like I said, English crime or right. Japanese crime. That might be a thing over there. It's not that I'm aware of, but it'd be really neat to watch you uh, write that because you you know both worlds. Yeah, yeah, and be- because you mentioned Peaky Blinders, in fact. So at the moment, the audiobook production I'm, I'm going through the edits on that at the moment and the narrator that i've got in he has done the accent so well but the majority of this book it is set in the midlands it is set near birmingham so actually a lot of the accents are like the peaky blinders That's and awesome. it makes it very authentic mm. But I, I can I can see for a number of American listeners and listeners from other countries that it, it could be too intense for some people. Um, I'll have to see what the feedback is. It's not even deliberately intense, but it could be just indecipherable. It's very authentic Midlands accent. So I'll be interested to see that feedback come in as well. Um, in in terms of like uh, writing more things set in Japan, I think I absolutely have to because it's like this is this is a niche, this is an experience that I have, so I should be kind of taking advantage of that. So there definitely will be things on the cards. I mean, I've I've got numerous projects that I'm working on at the moment, so. I just wrapped up the second or so draft of a book called Daddy's Boy. Mm. Now, Daddy's Boy, I've kind of pitched as the greasy strangler meets a Joe R. Lansdale high story. Oh boy. It it it's certainly if if we were to put the girl in the video and they're watching as a pairing, mm-hmm. then I think we could put House of Bad Memories and Daddy's Boy as a pairing. The thing with Daddy's Boy, though, is it's even heavier on the comedy. I mean, some could argue that it is effectively a 75,000-word dick joke. <laughs> and when you read it, you will see why. It, it, it is much heavier on the Overcompensating, humor, man. But <laughs> it's a lot of words but, for a dick. I mean, no comment, but... You could take it any way you wanted. There's a, I don't want to take it from you, Patrick. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. So that the, there's like a lot of comedy in it. Um, that there, there is some crime in the same way that there is in House of Bad Memories. Um, but that there's also fractured parental relationships. So obviously, this is not a theme that I'm done with yet and uh, yeah I'll, I'll be interested to see how that one is received but if if my concern with house of bad memories during the writing of it was like oh maybe this has got too over the top with the gore and could put people off with daddy's boy it's more maybe this has got more over the top with the bizarro and the dick jokes but you know I'll put it out into the world and we'll see what people think. And as I was saying, when I was chatting with Josh Malaman, if you keep producing 
stories and books and you know that this is a lifelong thing, in a way, it doesn't actually matter if one book doesn't connect with people mm. because you, you got the next one and the next one after that. So, yeah, that daddy's boy is coming. So that, that's got some crime stuff. We've also got Together Forever, which I'm about 60,000 words deep into. That is a kind of Adrian Lynch psychosexual thriller. I originally wrote it to try and do something commercial, but at the point where my brain decided to bring in a sex calisthenics cult, I realized this was just going to be as odd, if not more odd than anything else that I've ever done. And then the other project that I'm working on is making a a novella or a novel, I'm not sure yet which it'll be, of my short story, What Would Wesley Do?, which I actually originally wrote before The Girl in the Video, and I'm currently adapting into a screenplay. This is a bizarre thing where I had the short story, I turned that into the screenplay, and then I'm going to turn the screenplay into a novel. (laughs) But I, I think what would Wesley do? That'll appeal to probably people who like The Girl in the Video. Daddy's Boy will appeal to people who liked the comedy and House of Bad Memories. And if you want to join a sex calisthenics cult, then <laughs> Together Forever is for you. That very small niche, but there's probably three people listening who, you know, that's what they want. So, Thomas Joyce, welcome. <laughs> All right. I want to go back to something that you already semi answered, but actually, uh, bringing up your works in progress kind of reopened this. So I was actually, I knew that this book started off as a novella and I guess reading it, I I kind of assumed that you fleshed it out as opposed to adding a second part because there's a very clear, and, and, and I do think that I can see the part where you said, here's the, you know, second half, but there's a very clear spiral. And when I think of a Michael David Wilson book, I think of the spiral the part where we have a normal-ish story that goes off the rails, for lack of better words. Or, you know, I almost think of like the roller coaster operator just leaning back on the lever. Um, And every, all three of your books have had that point in them. So when it comes in House of Bad Memories, spoilers, I guess, um, it it seemed very natural. So a couple questions in regards to that. Uh, Number one, when you wrote the original novella, did it feel like it was uh, like that part was missing? And is that, you know, thing that I, I see in your work, is that something that you feel like you're putting in your other books as well? I mean, you've just said there and Sadie Hartman said in a review that I have this thing where I lull people into a false sense of security with almost like she she didn't phrase it like this but almost mundane trivialities Mm. and life's just going okay and then suddenly it fucking ain't and (laughs) I, I do feel I do feel that in the original novella I certainly had that I mean that and and I think it's still there there is a point where things get pretty real and and maybe the reader is uh taken hostage as such so i think i certainly had that in there 
Um, but I do think the original novella, it, it was probably more understated than a lot of my work. It was certainly more single location, almost as a play or in, in a way that The Hateful Eight is by Quentin Tarantino. But at at the time, I didn't feel it was missing something, but I, I guess I saw it almost more as like a very long short story rather than a novel. So it had the beats for, yeah, a long short story and a novella as the case would be. But then when I pondered on it, it was like, no, this is the halfway point. And then I thought, well, I, I, when, when I was conceiving as to what I'm going to do, I thought, okay, for the first chapter of the second half, I am going to make sure that something happens with a bang. I'm going to do something that is probably very unexpected. And then we're just going to have to see how people deal with that. But what what was your original question? Because I, I, I think you, you baked two parts into that question. So I've, I've answered so the first part. You, you hit the first part. And by the way, I did not mean to imply that there was no spiral in the uh, first half of the novella. But as you kind of said, it was when you when you hit <laughs> when you're reading the book and you hit the part where the gas really gets put to the floor. Um, that's the one like th mm -hmm. that's the part where, you know, if we if we borrow from your paraphrase where any sense of mundanity, I don't know <laughs> that that's a word. Mundanity is. is now a word. Um, it was before. <laughs> <laughs> it's now lost. Um, so mundane, you know, man. Yep. Um, so my second part was, is that, you know, something that you picked up onto the point where you feel obligated to put it in future works or does it happen naturally? Is, is that, are we going to see something like that in pretty much everything that you write? So I don't think I've really felt an obligation to write or to do anything i mean the nearest i came to that was as i said planning out this novel together forever so after house of bad memories i mean i i was thinking about getting a literary agent and at the time i'm writing daddy's boy and i'm like if ever there was a story to not pitch a literary agent with this is the one this is so much more the one not to pitch compared to House of Bad Memories. And I thought also, because in fact, no, I, I was I was pitching House of Bad Memories to a few people. And I thought, obviously, if someone's interested, they'll ask, what else are you working on? And I couldn't have the sole answer be Daddy's Boy. No, that just didn't like it's like, what else are you working on? Uh, you know, a 70,000 word dick joke. <laughs> what did you what did you think um so i i planned out this a commercial novel for me so there isn't probably not what you imagine as like a commercial beach read but for me it was kind of there but then as i started writing this i just thought it's too it's, it's not me it's too boring 
So it's then when the sex cult, okay, okay, now now we're cooking. <laughs> I just started adding all, all these other elements in. So, like, I, I, do, I do plan every story that I write, but then I give myself room to improvise and to change things as I go along. And I mean, I, I'm trying to think about the other projects that I'm I'm working on. I think I think this so-called spiral is something that I'm doing quite organically and naturally. But I think it's something I'm doing the more and more that I write. So I think it it was perhaps less apparent in like my earlier work but it is getting more and more apparent now but i i don't think i really it, it's not fabricated or it's not forced mm. and probably a lot of the best moment the best moments in my mind might be very different to readers but the best moments they they turn out more organically so I've spoken about, you know, a certain scene. I knew something was going to kick off, but I didn't really know exactly what was going to kick off until it did. And I also like with that scene, I don't, well, I want it to be original. I don't want it to be a thing we've seen again and again. I haven't seen that scene in a book or film. So I think I I achieved that with that one. Um, and that that is... That is something I guess I do semi-frequently. So I sometimes turn to the James Altucher advice that if you can't think of a good idea, then think of 20 ideas. They don't have to be good. Just any idea, it can be really cliche. And then I've got my list. And then probably somewhere, maybe combining or adjusting a few of the ideas, there's something original and unique and new. And, you know, often it could be a scene that nobody ever asked for and nobody ever needed, but, but you got it anyway. That one's for free. Um, one more thing I wanted to ask about with this book, your work in general, if you like, but especially this book, how did you approach adding in the dark humor and keeping it authentic? Because, I mean, like the characters in the shit. Um, and I with a couple of my books, I've kind of found the same thing. There's almost this humanity to, well, I'm in a bad situation and some people are going to read a joke as inauthentic as, you know, who's going to be messing around and, you know, acting like they're a stand-up act right now, but falling back on that dark humor, you know, the, the, that goes, that really walks hand in hand well with horror. Um, there is, there can be an authenticity to it when it's done well. So how did you kind of strike that balance? So I've found throughout my writing that, I mean, whatever I write, there seems to be a darkness to it and there seems to be humor. But that doesn't always sell that well. And it might be easier for me and for my so-called career if I either just wrote straight horror or I wrote just straight humor pieces. And I've tried that before, but but I can't. I can start writing what's meant to be just the, the most pitch black, 
nihilistic piece of work and then a joke turns up and I, I can't help myself. I just I want to put that in. That keeps it interesting for me. Equally, I can be like, oh, well, we'll write a kind of fun, like buddy comedy. And then I do something really dark and fucked up. Like those two things will always be kind of a part of what entertains and amuses me. And and sometimes I'm writing things to entertain and amuse myself. Look, writing can be solitary and isolating. And I I think that dark humor and humor in general has been part of my personality for such a long time. So it's very easy for me to write a joke. And because that is just the way that my brain works that is authentically me if i was like right we've got to force a dick joke in at page 18 then it might yeah come across as like a little bit well more forced which is interesting wording given what we're talking about you said it yeah you don't want to just jam it in if it's not ready to go in so go fist first (laughs) What was that, Patrick? I had a question. Don't repeat that. I had a question is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, God, I just when... realized what you said. Shut up, Patrick. <laughs> Shut up, Patrick. That is not what when you When you're done talking, first. I had a question. I, I interrupted we, to say that. We, 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 you, you always interrupt to say the, the, the most nonsensical diverting the conversation i'm sorry i'm trying to be professional you're interrupting again you're interrupting again 212 episodes michael mute the microphone patrick have a good long think about what you've done there (laughs) all right bald guy you can't you can't call another bold guy a bold guy it's like the other day where i saw Tyson Fury getting angry at Joe Rogan and he called him Baldy and it's like hang on a minute (laughs) or is that allowed are we allowed to say Baldy to another taking that word back I don't know anyway this is dangerous ridiculous territory anytime your face pops up on my screen Patrick it is dangerous territory make a good I, I, I guess what I'm saying is you know, to to if something is authentic, then I I I think that's how I kind of can put the humor in with the horror. But that that there's times as well where I I do have to go through things and I have to cut jokes out. I I think I sometimes overwrite the humor, and it's like this is not the time for him to realistically be cracking a joke. He can barely say anything because of what's blocking his windpipe at the moment so he's not gonna make a joke at this point so yeah editing out jokes is is probably the way i cut the jokes rather than put more jokes in most of the time but you better believe it if there's a a read through that i'm doing and i think of a good joke then i will put that in um and sometimes it's beta readers who are like, look, you've, you've got to take some of this out. There's like five jokes in this paragraph, and this is only a two-joke paragraph, so choose your two favorites. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> that, that sounds familiar. That looks familiar. That uh, whole like, okay, this is just a tad too much. 
Uh, yeah. Patrick, did yeah. you have a real question or were you going to say something inappropriate? I don't remember at this point. So okay. could have been easy. So Candace, perfect. I, I got something to say. It's not Please. a question because I'm the guest and that would be weird. I've interviewed <laughs> hosts on the show. I'm not going to start interviewing myself. But in terms of comedy and horror, and this came up when on This Is Horror, we were talking to David James Keaton and Jasper Bark. But I find that I I like to write even comedy in a straight way. If I write it in a slapstick way, that that that's at the point where I don't think it would work. So that's about making it authentic. So you can write a funny situation, but in a completely kind of straight-faced way. Jo- jokes from the characters through dialogue, I mean, that's a bit different, but that's still authentic. I mean, yeah, a lot of my interactions, they involve humor and self-deprecation and the deprecation of others, including Patrick on the school. And that's just the way that it goes. Indeed. Um, I I um, write a lot of um, inappropriate, humorous stuff into some of my work now, which I never thought I would because I was always like, oh, I'm a, I'm gonna write horror. And you know, I I always liked to read the straight lace, the slashers and the possessions and the ghosts and the hauntings. I was never really a fan of reading comedic style horror until I wrote one. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, this is how this is done. Like hey, kid this but there's also that point where it's like too much kind of takes away from the horror of the story when you're trying to make it a more realistic sort of story and I think that is why we do need to try to work on that um line between okay does this one work and maybe I should take these other two out because a lot of us I think any realistic situation or as realistic as we can write it anyway um i think a lot of us tend to have those times where we think the most inappropriate stuff just because we're human and that's what we do or we have those inappropriate nervous reactions to things like i laugh at funerals Bad look, I, bad form, I, yeah, but I do. Yeah. I can't help it. It's a nervous thing, and it's like the awkwardness of it and the tension and everything. And sometimes I've been, yeah, I've been known to just start laughing, and I'm like, so sorry. It's not the funeral, but it's just the thoughts in my head that kind of make it kind of like, you know what I mean? And I, I, think, I know exactly. I yeah. know exactly what you mean. I've got so this built-in thing where I laugh when I'm not meant to. Right, exactly. But what happens to us all, and I think when we take that and we write that into those scenes, those more realistic style stories, it works because we all have that. We all have that thought that we shouldn't have at the wrong time but I think when you try to um write in a joke and a joke and a joke and a joke and it's just too much and it's over the top 
you take away from the realistic nature of the story and it kind of ruins it unless you're trying to write an all out comedic sort of like my Frank, the unicorn killer, right? which was completely over the top and absurd the whole way through. But there, it still wasn't joke, 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 joke. I made Frank the comedic part rather than putting jokes in it. Frank himself was just sort of a humorous type of guy. And I think that's why it worked because it was him and his behaviors for what made him Frank. Not so much writing in a bunch of other jokes, which is why I think it worked. It was just, yeah. it, it kept to those moments that we all have that just make us a little bit absurd or a little bit inappropriate at the wrong time. And it's like, would this happen? Well, yeah, absolutely it would. And sometimes you need to just know when to take out the ones that don't in order yeah. to keep things moving along in that realistic style and keep the reader immersed rather than, okay, it's too much and I don't believe that they're going to say this and it's kind of losing me a little bit. Yeah. That that was the point I was after, which you just illustrated so, so perfectly. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think it's also about just knowing what it is you're writing, and I mean, at, at, at knowing which side you're going to go, go in on, because I mean, House of Bad Memories it is a dark thriller with elements of humor, mm-hmm. but at the moment, there's certainly quite a strong argument that That Is Boy is a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. with horrific and crime elements right so you know when when it comes particularly to like first reader feedback and also ryan lewis feedback which is very pivotal for me um then it's about how am i going to adjust this am i going to go all in on the comedy and it's like this right. is a dark comedy or am i going to rein it back and make it more of a thriller Right. I mean, I've noticed with some first readers, they're saying it has that that they feel it's leaning more into Bizarro. Um, but I feel that they're probably just saying that be- because we we don't often talk about this as a dark comedy when we're talking about a book. So Bizarro mm-hmm. is the yeah. the nearest kind of vocabulary we have. But I I don't think it's quite Bizarro. It has it. Yeah, it has elements of it, but it's not. It's not. I haven't gone full Carlton Melick yet. Never go full Carlton <laughs> Melick. There's no coming back from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I get a question that's about Japan. Okay. So I heard that. I actually, not heard. I saw this video where they make um, have a system where kids become more independent and towns are more unified as an actual community to look out for kids with i don't know yellow hats i think they're like six and it just says that they are by themselves that they know how to get they know how to walk from place to place without an adult is that have you heard of that before is that maybe a certain area of japan i mean i think what you're talking about is like a, a lot of kids walk around independently without adults from a much 
earlier age mm-hmm. and you you know uh often the elementary school students they are wearing yellow hats when yeah. they're kind of walking um to to school often or sometimes to the shops and that's just the way that it is it's not uncommon for a six-year-old in the first grade of elementary school to be walking to school on their own mm. yeah and i saw it could be as young as three and four and my boy's almost four and i'm like nope yeah not yeah. gonna go on his own ever yeah i mean <laughs> i i love japan i love a lot of elements of the culture but as, as we said you know towards the start of the show i'm hugely protective of my daughter and you know if if I were kind of in charge of her and the main parent, which of course I'm I'm not at the moment, or or with future children of mine, uh, potential children, like I, I'm not that that's not something I'm comfortable with. And mm. and I guess it's because like, you know, I haven't grown up in that culture. And yeah, I I generally feel safer when i'm walking around japan than i do the uk or most of the places i've been in the west but i i remind myself and sometimes remind other people you know just because we're safer just because it's lower crime it doesn't mean it's no crime it doesn't mean that there is no risk and at any time i do something there's a risk reward calculation and i don't I'm not letting my six or or seven year old walk to school on their own or walk to the shops. It's like I'll go with them if we need to to do something. Um, that's that's just how I feel. People have to make their own decisions. But I mean, one thing in in Japan that is a negative is I feel that drivers don't understand how. The zebra crossing works. Do you call it a zebra crossing? What do you call it? The crosswalk. Black and white? Crosswalk. Okay, so the crosswalk for American. You guys say zebra it's too. Instead of zebra, we say zebra. No, yeah, we, Peppa Pig. We, we, we say the correct zebra. And my so, son says it that way too because he watches. Oh, Peppa he Pig. knows. <laughs> he knows. Good lad. But yeah, like at 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 the zebra crossing crosswalk. As a driver, you're meant to stop if there are people waiting, but they they just generally don't in Japan. I mean, my girlfriend doesn't like that I try to educate the drivers one car at a time. I'm like, I'm stepping off. They're going to see that they have to brake. Now, I don't play chicken too much and if it looks <laughs> like they go, but just, just enough to like, you know, show that, look, look, we, we are going you are gonna stop you do have to um i i think it's it's ridiculous but the point is that because they're so blasé about stopping at a crosswalk well that's another reason to not let my my child walk around and, and unfortunately you do hear of children getting ran over they get hit by cars um and it, yeah, it's like probably a co- a combination of like someone that young walking around anyway, and the the lack of education as to the function of a crosswalk, mm-hmm. which I'm passionate about. <laughs> so, 
He'd yeah, fit in, I, he'd fit in well in Boston. Cro- people that are crossing the street, they don't give a fuck. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a common attitude up there. Yeah, I I think I think what's happened in Japan is J- Japan in general is a very polite society. So much like in the UK, there can be a like kind of like, no, after you, after you, after you, and like waiting for other people. So then people at the crosswalk are extending that when they're waiting for the car. But it's like, no, this is your right. This is your God-given right. You cross that crosswalk. My man. So I do. (laughs) Do it for Japan and for the highway code. My man. Zebra walking. Uh, Zebra walking. That's what we call it. <laughs> let's move on to final. No, not final thoughts. What are you currently reading, Michael? What am I currently reading? Mm-hmm. I am reading all manner of things, but I'm reading the nonfiction book Novelist as Vocation by Haruki Murakami. That is very good. I'm reading a number of things for the podcast including Chuck Polinick's new book, Not Forever, But For Now. And I'm reading The Dead Take the A-Train by Cassandra Kaur and Richard Cadry. But there's other things that I'm reading as well. Oh, I'm, I'm reading Max Booth's forthcoming novella, The Last Haunt. Yeah, many, many things that I'm reading. Oh, man. Nice. That's a lot, man. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Candice, what are you currently reading? I am reading White Trash and Recycled Nightmares by Rebecca Rowland. It's coming out, um, I believe, October 10th. So I'm reading that right now. I'm reading another uh, novel for a blurb right now, which I'm not allowed to say just yet. And I'm also reading the new Books of Horror Anthology Volume One. I mean, Volume Four, Part One, because it is a two-parter antho. Um, I believe there's something like a hundred and ten stories in this two-part antho now, so Holy it's shit. massive. Ooh. Yeah, wow! It's a proverbial who's who of just just about everybody in the indie horror <laughs> community. <laughs> That is on their way up or wants to start out and everything. And it's absolutely amazing. So that's what I'm working on right now. Nice. Uh, Brennan. I also am reading the new Chuck Palahniuk book. I'm about halfway through. Um, and I am wrapping up Tanana Reeve Dew's The Reformatory, which is out October 31st. Um really really awesome uh i was talking to candace earlier i said i am a sucker for southern horror uh you you start calling ghosts haints and i am absolutely in um but it's a really good one it's a big kind of door stopper um but it's it's a page turner too patrick how about you i just finished your story your book today michael starting up the reformatory tomorrow yeah it's like what do you say 560 pages give or take yeah, that's a big bastard. So, final thoughts. Michael, do you have any, sir? Well, if you like the sound of House of Bad Memories, which is Funny Games meets This is England with a Rosemary's Baby undertaste, 
And if you like dialogue heavy fiction with WTF moments, then do take a chance on House of Bad Memories. And I thank you in advance. But beyond that, and more importantly, as I said at the start of the show, just be kind to yourself. Give yourself a break. Don't put so much pressure upon yourself. You know, life can be hard. And remember that in the short term, we often overestimate what it is we can do. So maybe we think we're going to write, you know, 10 chapters of a novel in a month. And then we can't. And then we get deflated. And then we quit. And we can apply this to all things. We can apply it to fiction writing. We can apply it to diet, fitness, whatever. But the other part is that we actually underestimate what it is we can do in the long term. So little by little, if you're writing, let's even say every other day, you can probably have written a novel in a year. So keep going. Be kind to yourself. And remember, you can do anything you want. You just can't do everything you want. So take care of yourselves and good night. God damn it. There's more to this episode, sir. Candace, final thoughts. That was a good way to end, though. I mean, he just wrapped it up. So. All right. Good night. We're, we're good. <laughs> he did this last time. I got to stop asking him for final thoughts. <laughs> you, you, ask him if, you, if you ask for the final thought, then you get the final thought. You asked it for what, it is what you asked for, Patrick. I, I mean. You asked mm. for party. delivered. So you, you killed you it. You can come back. You can come back to me when you want another final thought. I'll do that. Well, you messed you messed up that wrapper. Yeah. I so want a part come two. Back, come back. Come back when you want the final final thought. Sir, this is Candace's time. I, it's, uh, sh- sh- boys. Sh- sh- Goodness, this is why I'm on the show to keep some sort of semblance of, I don't know, sanity or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Michael, thank you very much for your time, for your words. Um, I really enjoyed this story a great deal. Um, so I will be recommending that to just about everybody here real soon. So, yeah, check it out. Um, and as for me, everybody should know who I am and where to find me. But if you don't, find me at uncomfortablydark.com. Brennan. Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, Michael had some great initial final words. I look forward to his final, final words. Um, I'm a little disappointed that he said, have a good night instead of have a great day. That's how I expect him to go out. Um, Copyright at this is our podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's you transfer those it's right. your no, We Absolutely. can't do that on dead headspace. Yeah. We have I, to I, have a different one. You can do whatever you want. You're saying I'm asking for it, not you know, <laughs> echoing it. But um no, it's a it's an awesome book, man. And as you said, uh readers can pick it up on October thirteenth, uh Friday the thirteenth, which as I'm told has a special significance to horror people, and is in the month of October, which I'm also told is has a special significance to horror people. So, final thoughts, Patrick. Fun fact, spooky. Um, oh, I messed up the name. Uh, someone help me out. I forgot no. what the store name is. The Halloween, the Halloween chain. Spirit. Spirit of Halloween. Spirit. Yeah, spirit. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were founded 
right the next town over um in 85 so i didn't know that until like two years ago that's a random yeah well you asked me so I, i'm not gonna beat michael with this i know i'm not but mike uh love you buddy i appreciate it for anyone that isn't aware michael and bob pastorella their show this is horror was actually uh influential for us mike helped me a lot so if you like this show he is uh his spirit is in this show too whether he likes it or not it's trapped here um but check out this is horror they have a lot of great stuff a lot of great episodes that jonathan jans won yeah you might cry uh during it so michael final thoughts part two well i mean who do you have coming up next on dead headspace after this episode thank you and this is actually not purposely set up this way but uh Funny enough, next episode, 213, is Chuck Palnick with Ross Jeffrey, where we talk about that new book and kangaroos. Go ahead, Michael. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to Dead Headspace Podcast. Join us again next time. Not me, but everyone else next time, when they will also have Ross Jeffries as a special co-host. He is an accomplished author in his own right, and they will be chatting to the phenomenal talent that is Chuck Paulinick. This will be a return appearance from Chuck, so stay tuned for that. But until next time, take care of yourselves, be good to one another, read horror, keep on writing, and have a great, great day.